Welcome to a quick mini-sode. Mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode. River Heights Radio mini-sode entitled They Did You Wrong. Let's go back in time to the original moss-covered mansion. I can't do that sound at all. (laughs) We find ourselves in the implication of the southern United States. Yeah, which is like an hour south of us. It's about a day's drive from River Heights. Yeah. If you don't take any stops or eat. Or uh, take a plane. Yeah. (laughs) Which I recommend not. This is the original Moss Covered Mansion. One of the seven most changed books Mm -hmm. between the originals and the updates. We've already done a full episode about the updated Moss Covered Mansion, which includes such things as beamers. Exploding oranges. (laughs) And NASA. Obviously, we picked up pretty quickly that that was probably not the original version of this book instead of an orange grove fire there's a forest fire instead of nasa there's a carnival and uh there are many differences that will point out why it's probably a very good thing that those things didn't show up in the new version yeah as always mildred benson's writing was evocative such a better beautiful read than the new version and i think the plot though still unbelievable was more believable just barely we start this book with nancy and george filling their jug full of water in a little spring wondering where bess has gone to she's been missing for a while bess is much more of an explorer in this book a little bit more prone to adventure yeah nancy's like well let's go find her they ignore no trespassing signs they go in to find her we find out they've stopped because they're lost. They're on a detour between River Heights and Ashley. Pretty soon they run into Bess. It wasn't that hard. Bess asks him if they heard that terrible sound. It was unearthly and supernatural. They hadn't, but it certainly is going to lead to a bit of a mystery. Bess says, I've just had the fright of my life. And George says, oh, you stepped on a snake. Bess says, snake nothing. So that's a little bit of a foreshadow. The spooky sounds that came from the moss-covered mansion that Bess found certainly piques Nancy's interest. A moss-covered house with strange sounds certainly intrigues me. So here's a similarity between original Nancy and new Nancy. So they notice that the windows are all barred up. Right, George says, is this some sort of a prison, do you think? Nancy says, I don't think a public institution would be so poorly kept. (laughs) Nancy has a lot of faith in her governance. Exactly. George manages to fall into a lily pond. We haven't seen her take a good fall in a while. Bess finds this hilarious. George sees nothing funny about this. A red-bearded, middle-aged man bursts from the building. He's heavyset and carrying a revolver. I mean, he gives them directions, but he's spooky nevertheless. He tells them to go away. Yeah, the directions are uh, off my property, and then he vaguely motions to the direction they can travel. Which begins a long series of them trespassing on this man's land, and in the end, he's innocent. Uh, not innocent of being mysterious. (laughs) Yes! (laughs) 
Once he goes back into the house, they hear a revolver shot within the walls. And Nancy ignores her ebbing courage and says she needs to continue investigating. But here's the thing. Yeah, that's terrifying. And that ups the stakes so much from anything you're going to see in the updated versions, typically. Well, Beth says, it would never do for us to become involved in some tragic affair. It might ruin our vacation. (laughs) Yes, we certainly wouldn't want to do that. Nancy, in a not entirely steady voice, says, Truly this is a fearful place, and dreadful deeds may be going on behind those moss-covered walls. And it's just, it's just not. There's nothing bad behind those walls, as we discover, and there's really no reason for them to have decided that. And this begins what I think is a long series of Nancy being wrong. And I have never seen Nancy be so wrong about so many things as she is in this novel. As they continue to wonder about this mansion, George theorizes that it may be an institution for the insane. They continue to reference it as an institution. Maybe an inmate got out. Maybe all this stuff. This is something they accept as true for like no reason. Throughout the novel. Bess continues to say this is one mystery which isn't for us finally the man comes back out with a big old whip you may recall the whip from the updated version the whip was an og uh, device <laughs> and chases them away with it never before in her life had the alert courageous girl deliberately turned her back upon a mystery <laughs> but like did she i think it's to say both that she wasn't turning her back just because she ran away and that you can expect her to continue to investigate they make a horrible discovery george lost her watch this is the most important thing in george's life right now it's her most prized possession it's all she cares about it's her precious she got it for her birthday birthday well it's carson's birthday nancy got carson what else but a picture of herself what what, what else would he like <laughs> now many people might give their parents you know a nice uh, framed photo of themselves not nancy <laughs> She got famous artist Jules Renaud to paint an oil painting of her for her to give to her father. Way better than a gentleman's box, I think. Unless the gentleman's box had Nancy's face on it. The gentleman's box did have a recipe for unbreakable enamel. Not Nancy's face. Then we get a good dose of Southern United States racism. Nancy arrives at the inn that they are going to be staying at. Every servant in the household is given a colorful description. That is to say, they are all of color. It never doesn't tell us that. Many of them are elderly. Mm -hmm. None of them get names except for the cook. Unfortunately, as Nancy unpacks the car, she discovers that her oil painting has been marred. Even though Jules Renard warned her, do not bring this in a car, it might get damaged. She decided it was worth the risk, but they had to go on that bumpy detour. And now Carson's present is unpresentable. It's got two scratches. Nancy almost runs to greet him and Bess is like, uh, you better hide this hideous present. Nancy embraces her father, throwing herself into his arms. We've been separated only a week, she says, but it feels like a year to me. Carson says, ten years, and then kisses his daughter. It doesn't say passionately, but you know. Carson is tuckered out and needs a nap. Very busy man. Luckily, Mrs. Lee has studied under the famous artist Carl Carter. 
Carl Carter, not Carl Carter of art. Yes, one and the same. So she shows Nancy how to fix the painting, and uh, it's great. It's a pr- almost professional job. Nancy realizes that she's forgotten to get her father the most important thing that a man can have on his birthday, a cake. Oh. Luckily, it turns out that the cook has baked and decorated a gorgeous cake for Carson. In an accent that's unfortunately written in the book, she says, how many candles for this cake? And Nancy says, thank you. Mrs. Lee. She turns away from the cook, whose name is Lucinda, and says, oh my gosh, you shouldn't have gone through so much trouble. I didn't mean to trouble you. No part, Lucinda did it. (laughs) Nancy's having no part of that. She still doesn't thank her. No. Dinner is very southern, fried chicken and beaten biscuits. She presents the now fixed gift to Carson Drew. Carson loves the gift. He's like, oh, that's what you've been doing. Hannah and I uh, have been (laughs) wondering where you've been at all hours of the night. It turns out Nancy wasn't getting into trouble with the neighborhood hoodlums. She was (laughs) posing for a painting in secret. My mother has a painting of me that I had done in high school. That's amazing. In her home. It's me in front of a fire. You're practically Nancy Drew. Carson finds it impossible to believe that Nancy turned her back on a mystery. And I think we all find that impossible to believe. But dad, we heard a gunshot. Let's go back together. I assure you, the bearded stranger will not drive me away. It turns out Carson is immune to bullets. Barely knocks on the door and runs. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) Ding dong ditch. They have to ask the fisherman again for directions. He's the one who got them through the first time. And he warns them to stay away from that awful place. Yeah, it's it's dangerous out here. (laughs) Suddenly, another gunshot from inside. (gasps) Could Carson be getting shot to death? Nancy knocks on the door. They tell her, no, your dad isn't here. It's like, I think a servant opens the door. Yeah. Just like a crack. Like he's no one's here. And then she gets attacked by dogs, which she beats off with a stick. She hits a dog three times. Mm-hmm. They all run to the car. The car is missing. Naturally, all three girls tree themselves. They climb a tree. Luckily, Carson returns, throws rocks at the dog, and then lassos him. Back at the inn, Nancy has a visitor. It's famous painter Jules Renard. <gasps> Oh no, I hope he doesn't ask to see the painting. He does. (gasps) And she says, well, it receives some small damage. He says, oh my work, it's ruined forever. Don't worry, I fixed it. Oh, it's even worse. (laughs) Luckily when he sees it, he's not that upset anymore. I did not know you are a professional painting fixer. Jules provides Nancy with a lot of local information. Yeah, he grew up in the South, despite his accent I gave him. He tells her all about the Herd Mansion which is the moss-covered mansion. The Herd family once lived there, but all died of a mysterious disease. You can see why they kept the title moss-covered mansion instead of Herd herd. mansion. You heard of the mansion? (laughs) Jules says it's cursed. Nancy says that's not a thing. And Jules says some things in this world aren't reasonable. Jules says, well, I must be off. Can you call me a taxi? And Nancy says, we'll drive you. So they drive him to the shipyard where they see none other than the the bearded man from the moss-covered mansion. Jules knows the area. Do you know him? But Jules does not know the bearded man. Uh-oh. 
Upon returning to the inn, Nancy sees a new car there and finds Ned asleep at the wheel. So Ned greets her, hi, well, here I am. That's how I greet anyone (laughs) when I show up on their vacation. Well, here I am. Nancy catches him up about what's been going on. Yeah, Ned's like, oh, I had the detour of my life. She, She says, yeah, we, you know, found a mystery out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, does it have anything to do with the man who was shot out there? It's just an unrelated man as it turns turns out but we're meant to think it's not at this point best and george have come down with an awful disease could it be the ghost of the disease that killed the herds it includes a disfiguring rash and Bess is sure they have received the curse luckily nancy has other ideas about what it might be it's poison ivy poison ivy <laughs> nothing but poison ivy ned suggests that they all have a trip to the carnival tender-hearted bess finds the monkey adorable we, this is another book with a monkey in it the next morning nancy is awakened to a commotion downstairs she looks out the window there's a man nancy observes that he is a gypsy like looking man to be clear like you and i would say we don't use that word we are definitely going to have a mini-sode about how they did Remo wrong and Madame Coley wrong. So stay tuned for that. We think it's important to set aside a whole mini-sode about that subject alone. So Ramos pushes into the inn, demanding to see the girls. My brother was shot and they know who shot him. The fisherman gave Ramo their license plate number and Ramos wants information about who shot his brother because he wants revenge. Carson and Nancy agree Ramo clearly doesn't care about his brother. He just cares about revenge. Neither of them really feel sorry for him. Carson expresses regret that he has to kick Remo out, but that's what you have to do when someone barges into your home or your inn. The reason they're down here is Carson is looking for a woman by the name of June Campbell. That's his case right now. Her mother has recently died, mm-hmm. and she is one of Nancy's favorite people. Eris! Ned says, please hurry back to River Heights and don't get yourself involved here with strangers. Nancy laughed, and Ned knew she would never consent to staying away from a mystery. Meanwhile, Bess and George have been reading the newspaper, and they discovered that that carnival monkey went missing. Big reward if they find it. Yes, this is a plot line, guys. Carson decided to indulge Nancy's youthful enthusiasm and allow her to interview Mrs. LaBelle, former nurse of June Campbell. Bess and George are thrilled to go along. They are thrilled at the thought of having even an unimportant part in the interesting Campbell case. A missing lady talking to an old woman. We're in. Bass and George end up being key in this case. (laughs) Unfortunately, Mrs. LaBelle has really let her home go. Literally, the ceiling crashes down. At least in the hidden staircase, there was a man upstairs pretending to be a ghost to cause it. And it was right as Mrs. LaBelle was handing, like, identifying photographs. Nancy is all bruised up, but of course thinks nothing for herself and immediately goes to rescue Mrs. LaBelle. Mrs. LaBelle waking from her stupor, covered in plaster, and badly hurt, says, Oh, the ceiling fell, didn't it? (laughs) Nancy says, Yes, a very generous portion came down. (laughs) 
Mrs. LaBelle tells Nancy she had no choice but to let the home deteriorate because she had no money. Oh, it's depressing to be so poor. Yes, yes, it is. So Bess and George tell Nancy, Nancy, your face is scratched. There's a huge bump on your forehead. You need medical attention. Nancy shook her head in impatience. No, I need to stay here and look for those photographs. They leave with Mrs. LaBelle because Mrs. LaBelle's arm might be broken. And she's like a hundred years old. Nancy stays in this house. Of a woman she just met. And kind of cleans up and looks for the photographs. Looks for clues, I guess, yeah. Who should walk in but that old Remo? He takes a look around and says, you're into some trouble, eh? For a moment, he thinks she's a fellow thief. <laughs> oh, hey, what, what are we doing here? Seal, seal and ceiling? As Ramos is giving Nancy like a vaguely hard time, Carson shows up and Ramos runs off. Carson, his voice trembling with anger, says, Is that that Ramos again? Oh, he won't leave my girl alone. He's also like, what the heck happened here? And Nancy recounts the funny story of the ceiling falling. So there I was, <laughs> under the ceiling. <laughs> Carson doesn't find it so funny. Carson is unhappy with Mrs. LaBelle for letting the house get so run down. One can't blame Mrs. LaBelle too much, Dad. She said that she almost has no money. I have a lot to say about how they treat Mrs. LaBelle's poverty. Later, it's suggested that the woman for whom she was a nurse, June, should give Mrs. LaBelle a healthy portion of her inheritance to help her with the house. But Nancy's not giving her any money. Carson and Nancy clean up the ruined photos, sweep, mop. They put the broken vase into the closet. She might need this later. I thought that the vase would come back like they would fix up the house and they would glue it back together and it would be a big surprise, but no. Mrs. LaBelle returns with Bess and George saying that her arm was merely dislocated, not broken. Bess and George say, you know what? We'll help you for weeks. Mrs. LaBelle says Ramo is one of the worst troublemakers in the locality. Also, he used to pester her for a job a lot. What a jerk. Mrs. LaBelle tells Nancy, Penelope Parson, here's a clue, was June's best friend back in the day and lives in Wayside. Perhaps Penelope knows where June has gotten to. Penelope Parson was absolutely no help. She was an extra person for them to have to drive and see. She gossiped with Mrs. LaBelle. That resulted in bad things. And she was tricked by the imposter. As they're driving away, Nancy sees some movement in the bushes and thinks nothing of it. Could be anything. But her car won't start. Carson does not notice his daughter's car not starting, nor that she's honking at him. And he just drives off. It's this big chapter end cliffhanger. Nancy says, this is very strange. Why would someone tamper with my car? Uh, Carson just comes back. Immediately. Nancy asks, then someone did tamper with it? Carson says, decidedly. Several vital parts are missing. Oh, says Carson, I only wish I could lay my hands on Ramos. This fellow deserves a jail sentence for a thing like this. We assume it's Ramos who took their engine bits. That's the assumption. But by now, Bess and George have lost their zest for mystery, so they all have to go back to the inn. The next day, they visit Penelope Parson at the (laughs) Bonnie View trailer camp. 
They find out that June got married. Penelope says, well, I'm going to go chat with Mrs. LaBelle about all this. Meanwhile, nearby, Ramo is listening to their conversation. Maybe this is the chance I've been waiting for to get some money easy. And this is the worst thing a villain could do is want easy money. I feel like it's a chance I've been waiting for. He chuckled evilly to himself. (laughs) Good news, everybody. June is shown up in River Heights. What? She, oh, then Rama won't get to do his evil plan after all. Nancy suggests Carson brings Mrs. LaBelle and Penelope to act as emotional buffers for the terrible news. Also, you know, to help identify that it's the real June. The prospect of a trip to River Heights proved most alluring to them. Everyone wants to travel to River Heights. Exactly, exactly. Especially if they're too poor to have their own ceilings. Ceilings everywhere in River Heights. Nancy has to stay in Ashley because her car isn't fixed yet. Carson is worried that Ramo will show up. Nancy says, Haven't I been in all sorts of difficult situations in my detective career? But I've always managed to come out safe somehow. And she makes this argument a lot, both in the new and the old. And it's like, no, that's why I'm worried. Because you put yourself in dangerous situations, Nancy. And also the very statement, I come out safe somehow, denotes that we don't know how you're doing it. Yes. So it's not going to be easily replicated. It's almost like it's luck. (laughs) Her father could not help but smile at his daughter's confidence, and he did have a great deal of faith in her ability to watch out for herself. Nancy notices that the bearded man is staring at Ramo. But Carson advises her not to go to the police with any of this information. I confess, I have hesitated to place certain facts before the authorities, because I shouldn't want to have an innocent man be accused of the crime. When you reach my age, you'll realize that often it is unwise to form conclusions from such evidence. And I don't know how often we see him play the age card on Nancy. Have an open mind and don't ask the authorities for an arrest without absolute evidence. Basically a complete lack of faith that the police will actually investigate. Nancy says, you're the judge of what is best. Nancy maintains that she thinks the bearded man shot the brother of Ramo. And I guess she thinks paid Ramo to get a boat to leave. This is another example of Nancy being very wrong. It's time for a picnic at the LaBelle farm. And Lucinda, the cook, has hooked them up. Two heavy hampers and a thermos of hot chocolate. George, upon surveying the sight of this food, says, My, am I hungry. Certainly you mean best says that. Nope, it's George this time. And I do love this role reversal. Best says, It really isn't time to eat yet. Because this old original best is very concerned with propriety she even says we must wait till 12 i can't wait let's start now rest a while then finish what's left afterwards force may have been required to make george wait luckily at that moment the plaster man arrived to do the ceiling that picnic did sound really good what was in it fried chicken cornbread fresh from the oven not to mention sandwiches and a jar of pickled cherries now that's the meal of the book the plaster tells nancy that he got sick when he worked on the herd moss-covered mansion so he believes that there is the ghost of a disease he says that the bearded man must be crazy if he's living there because that place isn't safe for either man or beast or beast on the drive home they mostly gossip about 
June Campbell. I wonder what June will do with her inheritance, Bess asks. I hope she has good judgment about that sort of thing. (laughs) They all agree that yes, she should definitely give some of that money to Mrs. LaBelle. Bess says, wouldn't it be fun to solve the case before Mr. Drew returns? Which is basically what always happens. Wouldn't that be wild? Yeah. As they drive, the girls follow a truck. The book says is dragging a stiff, dead horse. It is the creepiest thing in this whole book. Before Carl had read the book, I couldn't help but give him this spoiler, only I read it as like he's literally dragging it behind the truck. I'm imagining a horse just like tied by the legs. Oh no. Like some guy's like, I don't know how to, how do I get this horse from one place to another? I'm a dragon. I think, we, as we talked about it later, he probably was like in the truck or on a wagon or something. It's creepy no matter what. It's definitely not something you're going to see in the updated versions and they treat it like another plot line but it never gets resolved. Bess is understandingly upset that they have to follow this thing for over two miles. When he turns away it was the bearded man calling that horse. Bess immediately is like we should go follow him and then she corrects herself oh yeah it's dangerous there. Leaving the mystery of the dead horse. To be solved some other time, the girls deliberately excluded the bearded stranger from their thoughts, as would have any of us. The place they're driving to is far away, and it's to visit the lawyer of the Hurd family to get the scoop about what that disease was. And find out if he knows who's living there now. None of this matters. No, he's, he's not there. On vacation. And real vacation, not realtor vacation. <laughs> and the secretary provoked Nancy by primly refusing to give her any answers. She just wouldn't give her privileged information. Now, when they get home, Carson has not wired to say he got to River Heights safely. George worries that he had an accident. Nancy says, Father is a careful driver. I can't believe that anything is wrong. I think he's just very busy. But as time goes on, Nancy's anxiety steadily increased. George got in her head. Girls, even if it's a foolish thing for me to do, George, I intend to telephone home. Bess, I don't blame you being worried. I should feel the same way. I imagine this long distance call is going to cost some money, but also they have money. Like she thinks nothing later of being like, let's take a plane. But like this long distance call is a big expense. Well, this is where we get the spookiest cliffhanger of the book. Because over the line, she hears a jumbled and jarbled voice. Is the line dead? Has it been cut? Uh, it's a bad connection, and her dad's there. And that's, that's it. the resolution of that cliffhanger. And he was busy. He was in the garden or something. Nancy guesses just by Carson's tone, June is too enthusiastic about the money. He also tells her it's going to be a few days more until he comes back. The way that lawyers always seem to give people their inheritance in these books you imagine they're sitting there with like a and on a scale of one to ten how upset would you say you are about this death three okay and how excited about the inheritance seven interesting luckily they'll have plenty of time now to solve the mystery of the moss-covered mansion with carson all tied up in river heights after all they have to find george's watch despite reminders that hey this is dangerous guys bess is not a chicken in this book bess was as eager for adventure as were nancy and george suddenly a snake slowly uncoiled its 
slimy body and crawled away in front of Nancy. Libel. Snakes aren't slimy. <laughs> Bess asks, was it a copperhead? And Nancy, pretending nonchalance, says, I think so. Anyway, I missed stepping on him by a full inch, so it's all right. Bess says, you wouldn't think it was so funny if you had been bitten and poisoned. Why, you might have died on the way to the hospital. <laughs> Nancy laughing, you paint such a tragic picture. A successful explorer must learn to conquer fear. But Nancy is cut off. Suddenly, she hears an awe-inspiring roar. Is it a lion? Nancy thinks not. Lions aren't native to these woods. But George knows it's a lion. I've heard their roar too often at the zoo not to know one when I hear it. To which Bess says, guys, we might get eaten. Instead of this debate we saw in the updated version of Moss Covered Mansion, where George thinks, oh, maybe this is a zoo, and Nancy says, whatever, it's not a zoo. Right. In this version, it's George saying, look, I know what a lion sounds like. As they're running away, the book says they weren't paying attention to the earth at all. Bess twists her ankle in a woodchuck hole. Nancy really wants to keep going. She tries to hide her disappointment, and George says, look, I'm even willing to give up my watch at this point. Let's just go home. I'll admit, this isn't the safest place in the world. Bess and George become ashamed that they were afraid. Yeah, and- now that the heat of being chased by a lion is off, oh, how silly of us to have run. <laughs> They agree to go back. Best points out that at this point, the watch is probably broken, but George says, no, it's not in the water where I fell. I know where it is. I heard it fall. Even though her ankle hurts, Bess goes with them. Unlike in the updated version, she's not hesitant because there's roaring animals. She's hesitant because she's in pain. Yeah, so she's twisted her ankle, but Nancy has a mystery. And George treasured her wristwatch more than any of her other possessions. So they find it. You know. (laughs) To face a lion for it. (laughs) And no problem, they find it. They run into the fisherman who warns them off, but Nancy says it must be safe for them to be there if it's safe for him to be there. Sheepishly, the cousins at this point have no more zest for the adventure. I mean, George has your watch now. Yeah, it's the second time they've run out of zest. Never before had a mystery intrigued Nancy more, so she goes off to search on her own. She does discover a police badge, which is mildly important later on. She also has an amusing encounter. She hears voices warning her to go away, and it's a it's a parrot. Uh, she encounters uh, Rainbow the Parrot. She at first thinks it's a childish old lady in a moment of playfulness. Maybe even an escaped inmate. It turns out it's a parrot. She goes back to the car, just really puzzled about the whole case. And Bess says, what made you take so long? And Nancy, God lover, says, long? I haven't been gone 15 minutes, have I? ADHD. George says, exactly one hour and five minutes. This is why she wanted her watch back. They start to head home, but what should they find on their drive? But a monkey in a tree who starts throwing pine cones at them. Bess thinks he's cute and wants him as a pet. Nancy, a little more practically, says, I think that might be the escaped monkey. So they do capture it. It throws a lot of pine cones at them. You know what else was in that picnic? One banana too many. The next two days, it is way too hot for solving mysteries. So they sit on the veranda, sipping minted lemonades and reading magazines. Eventually, they get some mail. Bess and George, letters from their mothers. Nancy, a postcard from Ned. And a plump letter from Carson. Carson is still not convinced about this June Campbell. Penelope and Mrs. LaBelle found June 
soon to be very changed. And he's waiting for more proof of identity. They decide, Nancy, Bess, and George, to throw a five-course welcome home meal. Congratulations on your money, June. Sorry about your mom's death. (laughs) Nancy has to return to the store twice because they keep forgetting to buy all the ingredients. Silly Bess and George. Bess does nail the roast, but she burns the cake in the old-fashioned wood stove. Bess says, the wretched thing isn't worth icing. And Nancy says, hide it somewhere in the woods. Yeah, that's what you do with a bad cake. You put it in the woods. Make a mystery for some other slave. When Carson and crew shows up, they find that June is an attractive girl with light red hair, dark eyes, and clear pale skin. But she's cold and unfriendly. George wants to take some snapshots before it's too dark. June says, thank you, but I never have my picture taken. It's pretty suspicious not to want your picture taken and very smart on her part. June says, camera pictures are stupid. Anyway, it's too late. I feel in no mood for it. I'm weary. George says, oh, I have a fast camera lens. We'll not let you off. You're merely being modest. June says, no, it's too stupid and walks away. Nancy, in a moment alone with June, mentions that Mrs. LaBelle sure could use some money. June merely says, too bad she hasn't any money. What a shame. The book notes that she's more interested in her appearance. June is certainly the Mrs. Rosaldo of this book. She seems to expect a great deal from everyone. She won't talk, thank them, or even help dry the dishes. Awful. Nancy almost drops a dish because Carson says, see ya, I'm going back to River Heights tonight. What? She can't get any time with this guy. Oh man, it's been like 10 years. Meanwhile, a rough-looking man shows up to try to claim the monkey for the circus. Nancy doesn't believe he's really from the circus, so trying to identify him, she says, well, where's the reward? You don't look like you need a reward! Which is true, Nancy's flush with cash already. Well, she needs it, so, you know, she can give it to other people. This whole time, the butler has been taking care of this monkey. Nancy just assumes he's been talking around. You know how butlers are. Nancy goes back to Mrs. LaBelle's. She has forgotten to give her her keys. And when she shows up, what does she see? (gasps) But a man on a ladder. Oh, no. A thief descending from June's window, who appears to be Ramo. A desperate scene follows as Nancy pounds on the door, runs past Mrs. LaBelle. Let me in. It is I, Nancy. And she discovers that June's door is locked, just like Mrs. Rosaldo's would be. Nancy goes outside to climb the very ladder that the man had taken to try to get to June's window. But she does it so poorly that the ladder topples over. She has to grab a tree, climb down, and then she tries again. June is missing. And her luggage. The police make an order for Ramo's arrest. Because I guess the guy running away kind of looked like Ramo. Yeah. In the dark. It's, you know, it's him. (laughs) Nancy decides now that this isn't really June. It's just impossible. She's mean and also won't get her picture taken and she took her luggage with her. And she got her inheritance in cash. Carson's like, actually, I think you're right, but I already gave her over $50,000 in cash. So, uh, that sucks. (laughs) Despite my extreme caution says Carson I've been duped while Nancy rests Bess and George decide to go find the fisherman and I love this this breaks the case wide open they find him carrying three fat catfish 
having a pretty good day. He says, oh, it's just a habit for me to memorize license numbers. I'm sorry I gave it to Remo. Yeah. George says, did you think we were suspicious? The fisherman tells them that Remo has been in jail for, for stealing. stealing. Here was news. The girls could hardly wait to report it to Nancy. George finds a business card where the man who Remo claimed was his brother was shot for Madame Cully, psychic reader in Carbon City. They go back, excited to tell Nancy all the news, and Nancy, in another case of being wrong, says, No luck, I suppose. The police haven't turned up a single clue here, either. George stops her, Don't put Bess and me in the same class as the police. We're far more clever than they are. Can you just imagine updated George saying anything like that? So Bess, George, and Nancy drive to Carbon City. And of course, they they stop for Sundays. You gotta. Yeah, that's where you get your info. Where they overhear two women at the soda shop talking about their favorite psychic reader, Cully, and her attractive daughter. When they arrive at Madame Coley's psychic shop, they see a brand new car being pulled up. Brand new? A shiny new blue touring car. Madame Coley runs out of the shop and yells, ain't it grand? Madame Coley has door dashed a car. We got it here, ma'am. Our most expensive model, just as you requested, with the three yellow racing stripes for trimming and the special secret compartment in the back seat. All of this the girls are listening to from some bushes. Does anyone in your neighborhood want to know about your secret compartment? Nancy whispers, I think Ramo and Madame Coley are related. They look alike. Bess, you're right. They're probably birds of a feather. Good old-fashioned racism right there. I was gonna say, Bess and George decide to go get the police. Not only is Madame Coley clearly in on this crime, but she doesn't have the money for a new car without being dastardly. Nancy decides she'll stall the car because Who's getting into it with Mrs. Cully? But Ramo himself. And June would be June. Probably that's her. She's all veiled up, so we don't know. Nancy thinks the best way to stall them is to jump into the car with them (laughs) and tell them not to leave. Get out before I throw you out, Ramo shouted, his beady eyes like coals of fire. So Ramo tries to push Nancy out of the car. Her only thought is that she should turn off the car. She tears off the veil from the woman in the back. It is June. The mother cries, you brazen thing. June apparently just looked scared. More frightened than angry. And that makes Nancy think she's probably innocent. So Nancy gets pushed out of the car finally. Nancy has no concept of trespassing being bad. (laughs) She's been pushed out. She's winded in the fall. A stranger comes to help her. He calls her unwise. He also just is really like, no, Madame Coley wouldn't do that. Oh, Madame Coley? No, she's good. You got it it wrong. Nancy says, you don't understand. The driver is wanted by the police. The stranger regarded the speaker with tolerant amusement. What type of girl was this? He wondered. (laughs) The investigating type. When George returns, she says to Nancy, you shouldn't have taken such a risk. But Nancy thinks that it's worth it because she had seen that it was Venus in the car. And has verified that she does indeed look a lot like June. Nancy now gets all sulky because she's worried about Carson's professional reputation. Bess tries to cheer her up by pointing out, well, at least 
now Carson won't have to pay all that money out of pocket. So basically Nancy's faced with a dilemma. If they solve the mystery, her dad has to pay a bunch of money. If they don't solve the mystery, her dad's reputation is ruined. Carson mentions it would be a significant financial blow. What do they see in Carbon City? But the carnival from earlier. Then they see the owner. The monkey's name is Impy. Says the, they say to the owner, we have your monkey. And he says, I've got some clues. Ramo was Mrs. Cully's maiden name. Also, do you want to know all about Madame Cully? Let me get into it. Her husband was pretty cool. He always took too many risks in his acrobatic acts and eventually it killed him. His domineering wife, says the guy, is worse at mind reading than Impy is. Venus was a daddy's girl and Cully was always unreasonable to both of them. Cully got fired for being too high-handed with the circus master. She keeps her daughter sort of hypnotized. She's bad medicine, he says. They're leaving town, but they have to stop for gas and they discover that Cully has swapped cars. The mechanic says there was something wrong with their blue touring car, and they said that time was more precious than money. Wish I could say the same. Carson isn't feeling optimistic, so Nancy sends him off to bed. He drove nonstop without food from River Heights. She teases him. How like you to abuse yourself. Ew. They go back to investigate the moss-covered mansion and run into a couple. Nice-looking couple looking for the moss-covered mansion. The girl is also mysteriously wearing a scarf. Nancy manages to... Oh, you, you won't be able to find it unless I'm in the car. So they give them a ride, but they're very pointed about them getting out at the gate. So Nancy discovers nothing further. George says it's a good thing, because even though the couple seem to be friends with the bearded man, wild horses couldn't drag me into that house. It's full of gunshots. And maybe dead horses, because Bess says, speaking of horses, we still have a mystery to solve. And that is the last time it comes up. We never do find out what happened to that horse. Bess and George are a little offended that Nancy wants to go search where the man died. Nancy does find something. A pearl-handed revolver. Now, earlier when the fisherman was telling them about the shooting, George was like, well, could he have accidentally shot himself? And the fisherman's like, well, I never knew him, but Ramo said he shot off a few of his fingers once and- Never learned to climb through a fence without carrying his gun. <laughs> Got shot at a fence with a gun. <laughs> Best thinks that this pearly-handed revolver is a little bit girly for a man to own. The bearded man comes through the bushes. Oh, no. Give me that gun, he says. No, says Nancy. It's my duty to turn this revolver over to the police. It's like, your duty? What are you talking about? She says, yeah, you're trying to obstruct justice, and I'm trying to uphold it. He's <laughs> like, what? justice for what? Give me my gun back. He just grabs it from her and walks off. As we find out later, he is completely innocent. And this must have been the most confusing scene for him. A very weird experience. <laughs> He's like, I drop my gun. I come back to get it. These girls are stealing my gun from my property. They won't stay away. It's for justice, they say. She's just so provoked. She's more provoked than she's ever been as they get to the car breathless and angry. <laughs> she's provoked. Tragedy has struck. Mrs. LaBelle has had a heart attack. Nancy, Bess, and George are going to take care of her, but Nancy is busy solving the mystery. She finds a note from the real June in the closet and notices that someone's been practicing imitating the signature. 
The note also says Liberty Corners, so that's a lead. But while she is too busy sleuthing to help Mrs. LaBelle, Bess and George both are required to go get supper. So when Nancy comes back into the room, Mrs. LaBelle is having another heart attack. And they decide on the reward for the monkey. We'll pay for the nurse for Mrs. LaBelle. They won't personally give money to Mrs. LaBelle. That never comes up. But if it's found money, then it's okay. It's a very weird system. It is relatable and tragic that Mrs. LaBella has to worry about the money for a nurse as she's laying having had multiple heart attacks. While Mrs. LaBelle's worrying about silly things like heart attacks, Nancy's thinking about getting to Liberty Corners to find the real June. Carson wants to go as soon as possible, but Liberty Corner is not as near to River Heights as the South is. It's in the other corner of the state. Oh man, the western edge. So they decide they'll take a plane to get there as fast as possible. But unfortunately, there are no tickets on regular flights. So Carson books a private plane, like you do. I guess I'll kind of rush through what happens next. Plane crash. Yeah, it's stormy. Gets lost in the fog. This isn't your whispering statue plane crash. This isn't a water landing with an old man who can swim. This is a heliplane crash. This isn't the updated moss-covered mansion plane crash where... Oh, I forgot about that one. Carson's plane gently comes down on a foamy runway and they thank the pilot as they walk away. No, this is forest fire a hospital unconscious people plane crash nancy is knocked unconscious when she comes to she can't find her dad she uncovers the pilot in the bush still can't find her dad passes out again she wakes up in a room she can't find anyone who's taking care of her so she decides they must not be kindly why did they bring her here (laughs) so she goes out of the house sneaking around avoiding someone who's running around and looks back and realizes it's the moss covered mansion how'd she get here they weren't supposed to be anywhere near here but somehow coincidentally the pilot got lost and ended up crashing basically right next door overly suspenseful series of nancy trying to find carson drew is he at the hospital no no one with his name's at the hospital is someone from a plane crash here yes someone without a name is from a, from a plane crash is here oh it's carson mm-hmm. he's fine yeah everyone's fine even the pilot's recovering <laughs> nancy gets a stimulant you know to be healthy and goes home to sleep yeah like you do with the stimulant yeah carson's just burnt up and bruised but he's too busy to be in the hospital nancy and the gang still needs to get to liberty corners to find june so they decide let's take a train this time Bess, upon hearing that nancy woke up in the moss cover mansion jokes oh you must have solved the case then and nancy's like no it was very serious and i thought my dad was dying <laughs> it's not funny on the train to liberty corners they meet jules renard they learn from him about carl carter who enjoys painting jungle animals he happened to be best friends with burton campbell june's father hmm jules knows all about june in fact he's headed to liberty corners also to see june to paint her because she's beautiful crazy oh i'll show you where her house is they all go there the cottage is abandoned and overrun and june isn't home so they've gone all the way to the other side of the state for no reason and they have to 
take the train back home. Nancy decides that if she's going to further investigate Ramo, a good person to ask might be Mrs. LaBelle, who informs her that she never trusted Ramo's looks, and further, he never even had a brother. So basically just admits again to racism. Nancy decides that Ramo must have somehow put the fisherman up to, like, scaring them, and the whole story was made up. No man was ever shot on the property. There is no brother. Silly us. I think someone had to have been shot. Like, that's true, because it was in the paper, you said. Yeah, but all we know is it was on that road. Yeah. It's never clear that it's anywhere near the moss-covered mansion. Yeah. Nancy says specifically, the fisherman is a scary kind of person who has been threatened too. And he never really struck me as scary, so I was very confused by that. Yeah, he seemed friendly. Carson has come around to seeing things Nancy's way. In fact, he demands that if the mansion is to be searched, they'll need a special police squad. And I don't know why now we've decided the mansion needs to be searched or why that worked. Why he was able to say, suspicious stuff. We're suspicious. Go Uh, get a search warrant. It's the uh, concussion, probably. Nancy sees on the porch of the mansion that beautiful woman again (laughs) in flowing red robes. Hot. Still with a scarf. But now, the storm of the book comes along. Bess and George run from the rain, but Nancy finds Ramo. She sees him digging around in the forest. When she catches up with Bess and George, she tells them that she'd seen Ramo with a spade. A spade? Bess says, what would Ramo be doing with a spade? Nancy says, I think he meant to bury something or else dig it up. Those are the two things you do with a spade. (laughs) Nancy gets her revenge on Ramo, finally. She sees his car and says, I'll take from it several important parts. The police go and question the bearded man, who tells them, Ramo and three schoolgirls have been spying on me. A law-abiding citizen has a right to privacy. And Nancy and her chums are very embarrassed to be put in the same category as Ramo. Interesting fact, because they were put in the same category with Ramo, and Bess and George were put in the same category as the police, the police are in the same category as a criminal. And I think that's correct. <laughs> So the officers hide in the woods, hoping to trick Ramo into coming out of hiding. But instead, they trick the girls into thinking that they're gone. Typical police behavior. The girls, the whole way, are just thinking bitter thoughts about how the police have bungled things this time. But as they see Ramo speeding away, Nancy says, Hold tight, girls! This will be a wild ride! And brings her automobile to maximum speed, drives after Ramo, pushes him into a ditch. He's trying to threaten them with a stick when the police show up. Nancy says to the police, before you take him away, can I question him? Apparently this is what Nancy thinks is a good idea. She reaches into her coat to pull out the badge she had found to pretend to be a cop? I don't know why she never tried to return that to the police either. (laughs) Also, he's being arrested. Why would her being a cop be extra helpful in this instance? Either way, he sees the badge and he's like, oh, you found the badge I lost. Yep. So he stole it. So this is completely different than in the updated moss-covered mansion. The police are like, he has rights. He doesn't have to talk. But in this version, there's none of this. Yeah. They just watch in awe. The waiting officers did not disturb the conversation, for Nancy seemed to be leading up to something important. Hey, shut up, guys. This seems good. They were astounded at her cleverness. 
Whoa, guys, this this girl knows stuff. Remo really begins to crack when she brings up Venus. Venus didn't do it, he says. Everyone loves a, an innocent, beautiful woman. He lets everything slip. Uh, Mrs. Cully was the brains behind the operation. I mean, it was his idea, but mm. Mrs. Cully's the bad one. I'm going straight now. I'm sorry because I got Venus mixed up in all this. But he does not go straight. This is a long drawn out plot of them finding all the things he dug up. He escapes from jail and goes back to the mansion because that's not a place he will be found to dig up more money. The main thing Ramos has been doing in the woods is this is just where he buries his treasures? Yeah, so it's all throughout the woods. There's Things tin cans of cash. Of cash. <laughs> the gunshot thing, the fisherman thing. It's all just to keep people away from a property that someone else is living on where he's been burying his stolen items like a squirrel. Nancy points out something we point out every time we read a Nancy Drew novel. Love it. That if Remo hadn't threatened her, she probably wouldn't have even pursued this mystery. Yeah, it was the act of trying to scare them off that made him get caught. And Nancy's like, wait, I have an idea that'll solve this mystery and Bess is like okay they just made dinner for us we should eat here and Nancy's like food doesn't matter I'm not hungry Bess for once <laughs> not thinking about food is like all right but we've skipped like every dinner they've made and I'm <laughs> starting to feel like it's rude again the original Bess seems so concerned in social propriety, propriety yeah George is really annoyed that they weren't invited to the search warrant search of the moss-covered mansion. <laughs> they serve pizza. So Nancy says, we could play a little trick on the police. Ooh. Updated Nancy would never do this. Right. In general, don't play a trick on the police. The trick is that they're going to set their alarm for 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. and go to Carl first, basically. Oh, I mean, to go to the moss-covered mansion first. Because, because Nancy... <laughs> Nancy has figured out. Has figured it out. That the bearded man is Carl Carter. He's an artist of some sort. And the model in red robes is June, <gasps> June Campbell. Campbell. <laughs> so she goes to the mansion. Of course she's right about this. You got me, says Carl. She had picked up Carl Carter's wallet, which is part of what tipped her off. She returns it and promises to keep his identity a secret. At one point they hear a scary sound and he says, oh, that's only a Russian wolf I keep penned in the basement. Right, I mean, I have a leopard, an old lion, a few snakes. My lion gave me considerable trouble when he escaped the other day. Incidentally, he does not have a boiling pool of water in his nope, basement. just a dead horse. <laughs> says he must be very brave to do what he does and Carl says oh I enjoy it everything except the publicity. Bola the leopard escapes and Nancy has to fight him off with a chair. There's a long drawn out sequence like I said of Nancy discovering where all the money is which is like buried all around and in a cupboard downstairs eventually they stop Madame Coley and Nancy digs out $37,000 in cash from the car cushions. I always lose money in my cushions. They didn't have a secret compartment in this one. Carl reveals who saved Nancy from the fire. It wasn't him. It was old Bongo. Another very racist little moment. One of the servants, probably the one they met, a fellow he brought from the jungle, which is apparently like, I don't know. You know how some people say it's racist to just say Africa? You know what's even worse is when you just say the jungle. 
I brought home a servant. Even if, like, I brought him, like, Catherine in the jewel, you know, they brought her home, but, like, from somewhere. I brought him from Ukraine. Like, say where the guy's from, not the jungle. Which what? You don't even say which jungle. Ugh. Mm. Nancy says, didn't you think I needed medical attention? And Carl said, not that savage. He's used to falling trees and temporary knockouts. So the big twist is that the innocent guy's a real dick. So for some reason, when they're talking about what happens to these three criminals, they refer to Madame Coley and Ramo as the two right, older ones. Right, the two older ones. ones. They received the long prison sentences, but... Venus was sharply reprimanded and set free. She joined the carnival at a very good salary after Nancy, I guess, got her the job as a kindly act. Because in the end, if you're young and pretty, it's not your fault. Well, and that clear pale skin doesn't hurt. Ew, clear skin. Meanwhile, large billboards of Bola and June have gone up around the city. Imagine this. A beautiful leopard. <gasps> a woman in red robes. And, and it's huge. Another carnival's coming to town. This will be a reminder of the adventurous days. Every time we see a billboard. We'll think, I wish there was a woman in red on it. Well, this has been an excellent trip through time. It's a shame about all the racism back here. We'll absolutely be doing some mini-sodes to break down some of the racism aspects of absolutely. this book. But we won't be able to hit on all of it. Thanks as always for joining us. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go Wildcats. That's the 1930s for you folks. This has been the book before the book. A tantalizing minisode. Minisode? Minnesota minisode. This has been the book, <laughs> book before, before the, the book. book. A tantalizing minisode <laughs> from River Heights Radio. Go, Go Wildcats! Wildcats.